Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. Uh, this is the Living Clean Study. We are on episode 41 this evening, and we'll be starting on page 142. Uh, with when people are used to rescuing us. First, we're going to start off with introductions. Douglas, you want to introduce yourself first? Hey, everybody. I'm an addict. My name's Douglas. I got clean March 12th, 2000 in southwestern PA, and I stay in the, the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. Thanks. Thanks. Casey. Everybody, my name is Casey. I'm in Clean Day. It is 9:30 of 2013. I attend meetings in the Mid Willamette Valley area of Narcotics Anonymous, and I'm glad to be here. Hey there, Jane. Hey, everybody. Jane A. here. Clean Date 12:22:79 in Salem, Oregon, and my home group is the Thursday Noon Basic Text Study. Thanks, Jane. Paul. Hi, I'm Paul M. I'm an addict. My clean date is January 6, 1995. I attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana, and my home group is Open Mind. Thanks, Paul Lee. Thanks, Jen. I'm Lee, I'm an addict. Um, clean date, August 27, 1987. My home group is also the Open Mind group of Narcotics Anonymous. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. And our guest tonight is Stephanie Kay. Stephanie, introduce yourself. Hi, hi friends. Stephanie Kay, addict. Um, I got clean 5-25-19. So next, next month I'll have three years. I'm super excited about that. Um, I live in Northeast Ohio and attend meetings all over this area. Thanks for having me. Oh, my home group's Life Without Chains. Thanks so much, Stephanie. And my name is Jennifer. I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. And uh, Casey, do you want to get us started tonight? Sure. Thanks, John. Uh, when people are used to reusing or rescuing us, reusing, rescuing us or taking responsibility for us, it can seem simplest just to let them continue. As we take our own inventory, we can see the price we pay for not taking responsibility for ourselves in our relationships, our careers, and most of all in our spirits. Slipping the knots in our dependency on others can be done without needless harshness. We are grateful for the people who try to help us, whether or not we accept their aid. We try to keep in mind the wisdom of the seventh tradition. Everything has its price, regardless of intent. We do our best to accept help when we need it and pull our own weight when we can. There's a great freedom in taking responsibility for ourselves. We're able to look ourselves in the eye and to be clear about our motives. After many years of recovery, a member found himself in the position of caring for her parents with whom she had had a hard time as she was growing up. Recently, it's become clear how human and fragile they are. 
My feelings get hurt. Oh, she said, my feelings get hurt when dad doesn't know who I am anymore, but in the larger picture, it doesn't matter because I remember who he is. <clears throat> Some of our hardest moments contain the keys to healing and deep painful scars. So often in recovery, the rewards come when we are not looking for anything but the next right thing to do. Um, that was by no mistake, right, Jen? <laughs> uh, this is a good couple of paragraphs. You know, the first thing that, that stood out to me was learning to take responsibility for ourselves. You know, I was just um, speaking at a, a PR thing today with a, a group of women in a treatment center and um, talking about, you know, when I was still in my active addiction, uh, you know, my parents had this thing about trying to rescue me out of every situation that I was in. And, um, and I remember the day that my mom came to me and said, the if I do this one more time, you will never figure it out on your own. And um, I was so pissed. I was so pissed. How dare you leave me? How dare you force me to go live in a shelter? Um, but A, I continued to put myself in this situation time and time again um, with drugs and with this toxic relationship. Um, and B, I was an adult. And, uh, you know, I it was after a few years clean that I was able to really see that she gave me the best gift that she could have ever done, which was making me uh, take responsibility and take accountability for my actions and my choices um, and not robbing me of those experiences. Um, because it was at that point in time that I did things differently, right? I really did go live in a shelter um, with my kids and I really did get tired of that toxic relationship and, um, you know, it, that, that's been my experience all through recovery. When I got here, I, I didn't know how to do anything. I didn't know how to parent my kids. I didn't know how to um, manage money. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And, um, you know, today that's not the case. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that part. And then, uh, you know, the second paragraph um, makes me uh, really emotional, um, because I am in a position of caring for my parents. They both live with me in my home, one who has early onset dementia um, and uh, cancer and was placed on you know, hospice for a significant amount of time. And um, it's really hard for me sometimes and some days um, to live with my dad. Uh, he's very, um, you know, when you get early onset dementia, the first part of your brain that goes is your frontal lobe, which is your logic and reasoning um, in your filter. And so some of the things that come out of his mouth are really mean. And um, I get pissed off and I get to where it's like, what the hell, you know? Um, but this just reminds me, um, you know, it says some of our hardest moments contain the keys to healing deep and painful scars. And the truth is, is that I'm very grateful to be in the position that I'm in to take care of them when I stop and look at it. Um, I am very grateful that I get this time with them and I know that there will come a day in my life when they're no longer here and I will want this time back with them. So, uh, I don't know, that paragraph just really stood out to me for that reason. So that's really all I have to say. Thanks, Casey. I relate a lot to what you were talking about. I, um, had the honor of taking care of my dad at the end of his life and he lived with me and I, I moved him in with us and, and, um, it was the first time I think 
that I really set off in a, in a manner that was just about doing the right thing. He needed care. I was able to provide it. And it didn't matter how, in you know, the most inconvenient things I've done in recovery have provided the most rewards, you know. And it really is, after all of those years of all the, you know, BS that I did in, in my using, and, you know, even in recovery, you know, being selfish and self-centered, it really is... Um, one of the best things that ever happened to me. It was one of the most beautiful experiences. And, you know, I, I didn't think that at the moment because um, it was really difficult, but it was definitely one of the most worthwhile things that I've done in my in my life. So, um, Lee, go ahead. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. Yeah, that second paragraph kind of got me too. Um, I can remember like all of those hard moments that it talks about. Um, and I, I, I tried to share some of this last night. Um, those most difficult times in this, in this process have been where the rubber met the road, where the, the juice was really at. Um, with, with a lot of time and practice, the, there's a lot of areas of my recovery where it's, it's just kind of going along. I don't, I do the routines and I, I receive the results, but, but when my, my mom first got uh, dementia, it was almost, it was almost overnight. Like when she, she would always get up around nine o'clock from watching TV or whatever she would be doing and she would come kiss me on my head and then she would go to bed and she was pretty self-sufficient. And, and one night, the next morning, she was like a completely different person. She didn't, I was in the kitchen preparing breakfast for her and she didn't even know who I was. And she said, I'm gonna go call the cops on you. And I was like, yeah, go find that cell phone I bought you because I've never found the cell phone to this day. Even when we packed that condo up in, uh, in Bellevue, Washington, I never found that phone. Um, and it had, a, it had a, a real large impact because my mother was a super strong woman. I mean, she raised us after my dad died. She kept us together. Um, and, and to this day, I don't know how she did all the things that she was able to do. And the first two, three years of that were so hard and so difficult. I even did a, a, a 12 hour caregiver course that I, I, think I paid really good money for it. And it, at the end of the 12 hours, you get a certificate. And I was laughing with them. I said, you know, guys, I go to this program that taught me the exact same principles we've been covering for, for this entire course that, that I got for free in their name. And, and it took more effort. It took more practice. Um, and the biggest gift that, that, that came from those seven or eight years or six or seven years, I don't know, I've lost track of the time now, was that at the end of it and at the end of her life, she died at 100. Um, for the first time in my recovery, I felt like amends complete. And I don't know how to, I lack the superlatives to, to communicate that the way it feels to me. Um, I've never in any other eight, nine and 10 work had a feeling like, like what I was given and what I received from, uh, from my time with her. So 
thanks, thanks. Thanks, Lee. Uh, Paul, do you want to read the next next two paragraphs for us? Sure. We may be surprised to learn how many different ways people work through these things. Even if we seek professional help to address our childhood and family relationships, our recovery in NA does not need to be placed on hold. On the contrary, the basics of our program support us as we struggle with powerful feelings and memories. As other members share their love and compassion, we learn once more that we are not as alone as we feel. When we take an honest look at our lives, we can see good and bad, even in the most complicated families. The process of recovery offers us the freedom to choose what we want to bring forward from our past and what we want to leave behind. It's not always as easy to do as to say, but the ability to make the decision greatly increases the likelihood of being able to carry it out. Our old timers sometimes remind us, if you don't know what you want, you're not likely to get it. So yeah, I, I, I've seen the arc of this relationship with family that has, you know, I, when I got here, it was all their fault, right? But before I got here, um, before I got here, uh, somebody was sharing about this. I, I, I got clean in 1988. I stayed clean for three and a half years. I relapsed uh, for four years, and then I came back in 1995. During those four years, my parents got divorced, and my mother was single in her in her fifties, of fifties or sixties, for the first time after 31 years of marriage. And and I'm an only child, and she's British, so she's not from this country. And I took advantage of that. I, I, I knew that there was always a soft place to land when I was using and, and getting clean to me was going to her house, eating all her food, stealing all her money, sleeping for a couple of days, and then heading back out. That's what getting clean meant. And so um, I, I did that pretty regularly for, for a while. And then at some point, she couldn't, she knew she told me this after, you know, when I got clean again, she knew she couldn't say no. She knew that, that if I appeared, whatever time of night I appeared at her door, she would let me in. And so she decided to move four states away to Georgia and move in with a friend of hers who was also English and married to an American. And that action was the reason I got clean again because I no longer had a soft place to land. And um, it is it must have been, now that I look back, you know, I was pissed off and I, there was all this me, 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 I, 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 but the incredible uh, amount of love and pain that must have caused to do that must have just been immense. And, uh, and I 100% agree with Lee. The arc of that is, they're the fault, they're the problem, they're the problem. They love me enough to get out of the way. I get clean, I work program, I work program, I work program, I move her in, she's on dialysis. 
she lives with me i pay the bills i stop stealing money for from her and pay for her living expenses her living expenses her living expenses i'm with her when she dies and i eulogize her at her funeral mission accomplished and that is the power of this process and look there's somebody sitting out there but mine's already dead and i was using there is a power in this process that can heal anything even that person who feels that that is unfixable there is an ability to fix everything do i have some regrets about what happened back blah 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 oh i wish i hadn't done that i wish i hadn't but look you know nobody gets out of here without some of that but he is absolutely right there is a completeness to that that this that this process allows and so if you are listening to us and you think something is so broken so unfixable so just rendered that it can't ever be put back together that is not true but it takes work and it takes time it's not something that is it's not a light switch it absolutely is not a light switch so that's enough for me thanks paul douglas yeah hey um those uh those comments were great man i i just wanted to to say something about about those about you folks talking about caring for your parents, especially for somebody who hasn't experienced that yet, is uh, there's a lot of hope, man. It really is. It's a lot of hope for people like me who's in here with, you know, with my, my folks are living together and uh, and they're entering into the stages that you folks are talking about. My, my mom's pretty much had the mental faculties of a toddler for years now, but um, in my old man, it's kind of went, kind of went a little bit off the last six months or so. And uh, it gives me a lot of hope. I just wanted to say that. And I'm sure there's some listeners who are feeling the same way. So thanks for leading the way in that and sharing how, how that stuff happens. I want to make a couple comments on these two paragraphs. Um, starting with the second one, when we take an honest look at our lives, we can see good and bad, even in the most complicated families. I want to, I want to give this perspective of a co-parenting relationship that I have with, with my boy's mom. Um, there was a time when she was sitting in detox or on a run for a year after year after year. She has about seven years in the program now, and it took her five to get there, you know, and, and, and so in that, man, there were long periods of time when it was just me, me and the two little dudes just kicking it, you know, Easter, they're crying, where's mom, this and that. Now it couldn't be any better, man. I'm telling you, like, if I would have wrote down, hey, what's a co-parenting life look like? You know what I'm saying? Like, my fantasy was, you know something would happen that she would just be completely gone because it was easier to deal with that. It's just too sticky and too messy to kind of go through it. Fuck, it couldn't be any better now, man. It just, it, 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 it's wild how we're civil to each other and, and we kind of have this united front of saying, hey, we're parents. And, and a lot of folks on here know my two sons, God bless me and her for trying to raise these boys. It's a fucking, it, it, it's, it's tough. It is tough. But anyhow, my, my other comment is this. This is really cool. I thought this was really neat. Um, as other members share their love and compassion, we learn once more that, and now starting here, starting with we are, I have it underlined, boxed, starred, and I think everybody who, who, who's listening should. Um, we are not as alone as we feel. 
man, I think that applies in just about every area. I can't think of another area where, where an area in my life where that doesn't, that doesn't apply. I'm never as alone as I feel, man. Just never. And there's a lot of hope in that. A lot of hope. That, that first paragraph that you read, Paul, reminds me, I was, I was in Kunming, China um, with a couple guys and we were driving over this beautiful bridge, man. It was at night and I'll never forget it, man. I had a spiritual experience. This guy was talking about things and how he has to navigate a pattern with his parents. <clears throat> and he said that through, through step work, he was able to see that he needed to talk with a, with a psychologist. And that psychologist gave him a couple tools to use, right? And, and that's what this paragraph was talking about. It's like, hey, look, we stay clean. We do some step work and, and, and we have this complete abstinence piece. And then it kind of says, okay, the dust settles. Let's work on this area and let's work on that area. And that was his story. But man, he was talking about me. He was pouring into me. And what he said was he said that I was able to use some of these tools and, and where I was not parented, how I needed to be parented, I was able to go in and kind of parent myself. And bro, it sounds fucking silly if you don't, if you don't have that experience of saying, look, man, I need to go back there and parent myself because I'm missing on something there. It hit my spirit there, man. It just, you know, I'll never forget like how it looked and the experience was there. It was just a really neat, neat experience. And I've been on the journey to do that, man. And, and uh, um, do you know, I've been, and I'm going to say this in past, check this out, man the history with like with with my father the history with my mom and, and just i never thought I'd, I'd ever desire getting close with them anything like this i've been fortunate enough in my profession to 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 take a job where i was about an hour away from them a couple of days a week this this past year most wednesdays most wednesdays i would go have dinner with them and after a while it got to where if i couldn't make it for a week or two they were saying hey you know when are we getting together for dinner and folks, listen, my story, it should be the exact opposite of it, man. But what you folks are saying, the comments that you're making is exactly right. It's like, we take care of us. HP kind of works it all out, man. We go along for the ride. And, 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 and it's just wild, man. It's just wild. I love you. I'm going to pass for that. Thanks. I wanted to tie into one thing where <clears throat> talk about when it, we take an honest look at our lives um, and see the good and bad, even in the most complicated families. You know, I came into Narcotics Anonymous with the chip on my shoulder about my family and my parents and why I was the way that I was and why I used and why I stole and why I cheated and why I lied was all because I had this awful childhood. And, you know, if I take a step back, you know, and Douglas was talking about it, right? Like complete abstinence, we start working on ourselves and then all of a sudden we realize I, I'm the problem, right? And I had this, this, this really ugly story about what it was like growing up and it was hard. I'm not going to lie, but there are really key things that happened for me where I still utilize some of the tools that I got when I was growing up, you know, um, and sometimes they're weird things, but it's like, I make my bed every day. Right. I was forced it was the most terrible thing I had to do was make my bed in the morning before I left for school. You know, I learned how to cook. I learned how to have a family. We used to sit down as dysfunctional and crazy as my family was. We sat down for dinner every night at the table when my mom got home from work. That's what we did, you know, and I've been able to implement some of that stuff into my family today, you know, and then, you know, when, when I fast forward into my life today and how that my life has changed, you know, I'm in this new co-parenting relationship with my ex-husband who has only been my ex-husband for a short time. And I'm getting to learn from others 
about these relationships and how they work and other people in Narcotics Anonymous who are parenting their children with somebody that they're not married to anymore, you know, and, um, and thank God for that, because honestly, it would be a whole different scenario right now if I did it the way that I wanted to do it, Um, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And, um, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for the process of having others before me, you know, no matter what has happened in my recovery, there's always somebody ahead of me that's already done this and has some way better ideas than I do. Cause my ideas always end up with me on a really long eight and nine step. So, um, with that, uh, I will pass and let, we'll go on to our next couple of paragraphs. Um, <clears throat> Stephanie, do you want to read for us next two and share on it? Stephanie Addict. All right. Many patterns for relationships that have stayed with us through our lives have established early. We weren't born with all this damage. We will live with, but we live with the events of our past and some of them are traumatic. Abuse takes many forms and not all of our history is easy to name. No matter which side of the equation we were on, the memories haunt us. Our history leaves us, leaves us with issues that come up again and again, shame, fear, and belief that we need to justify our existence and a sense of alienation from ourselves, our bodies, and other people. In our relationships, this shows up as a feeling of failure before we even begin. It seems impossible for us to have a healthy, loving relationship, so the first sign of friction or tension seems to prove our worst suspicions. We escalate or walk away before our fears have a chance to come true or be disproven. Coming to terms with our experience happens over time in layers. There are issues we must address immediately if we are to face life clean and issues that we must develop a foundation of recovery in order to be able to face. The baggage that that has traveled with us the longest is the stuff most likely to bring feelings of hopelessness. There are times we may be frustrated to find ourselves facing the same issues that we had dealt with years before, but we find increasing freedom as we continue to chip away at them. When we are in the grip of an old pattern, we must remember our bottom line. Don't use no matter what. There can be a long time between the work we do on a particular issue and our awareness that change has taken place. Oh my heavens, I'm so... This was... These paragraphs are perfect for me. Um, so much of this I can relate to. You know, I am um, about seven or eight years out of a divorce. I'm also co-parenting. Um, I just recently found out, like, I don't know, October of 2020, I started seeing a therapist to like deal with interpersonal issues in my job. It wasn't even necessarily like to deal with stuff that I dealt with in the past, but I found out that I was like a victim of domestic violence because I, I never was hit, but you know, there's that, that's not the, you know, the only part of domestic violence. So that was a huge thing for me. And we've been dealing with the trauma of my 12 year marriage. That was just so toxic and lots of drug abuse and, um, tension and toxicity, you know, it was just, it was really hard. And we were raising children like that, you know? Um, so when it says here that, you know, okay, so I'm married now, I've been married since last May, it's almost a year. Um, this just recently came up last week. You know, I, Chris and I have an amazing relationship. We have our great communicators. He's also an addict in recovery. Um, you know, I, I've never had anything as solid as I have today. Um, but with that, you know, like my fear of failure, um, also my fear of success as an addict, you know, like self-sabotaging. Um, like last week, we had a really rough weekend. We typically never have that kind of um, dynamic in our relationship, you know, and sure shit like the first time in three years I wanted to leave him like first thought wrong right um I'm running and I'm like oh my gosh Stephanie what are you doing like we didn't even have a fight but his 
opinion was different than mine and I felt slighted and like you know when I left my first husband um I dated here and there over the six years or five years and um like as soon as things would get weird I would jet you know or I would get angry or you know I didn't I never work things through um so three years is a long time to be with somebody, you know, like that's the longest relationship besides my marriage I ever had. And then the growing pains that come with still learning each other and, um, you know, being addicts on top of that and still trying to learn ourselves and then, then put this relationship together, you know, um, and raise up my children together. Um, you know, I find that I have like trauma responses still that I will, you know, I won't even think about a response that I do to Chris that is something from my first marriage, you know, like because of how toxic and 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 rough that marriage was, all the fighting, like sometimes I bring those responses into um in interaction with Chris and it's it's not healthy, you know. Um, or I will completely suppress and I won't talk at all because I am so afraid of conflict and tension that I just will keep my mouth shut. Um these are all things that I've sought outside help for and sought, you know, work with my sponsor and just the steps, man, the steps are my way to freedom. Like I have been able to uncover all these layers, you know, and like the last two years have been really challenging. You know, I started um, step four in March of 2020. Uh, I just recently started step 10. So the last two years have been shit steps, you know, like just uncovering all this stuff and these patterns of behavior and these character defects and, and, and the awareness that comes with all of this unraveling, it's been so painful. And, um, a few weeks ago, I kind of had this like spiritual awakening. <laughs> like I was in the bed in the middle of the night, like those are the times that my anxiousness gets me. And, um, like, I think about all the destruction and like, I'm living in the past still at times, even though I live with integrity today and everything's different. Like I sometimes get stuck and, it's just, you know, all this stuff has happened in the last two years with these steps. So it's, it's, that's why I'm feeling this way. So like working on the 10th step now is like, it's a time for a reset. And it's like a better area for me to be in where I can, you know, be aware of my actions, make amends when I need to right away. Um, and have a different relationship today than I've ever had before. Not only with my husband, with my children, with my family, with society, with my community, you know, like it's just all a different life today. I'll pass with that. Thank you, Stephanie. Jane, go ahead and step on in. Thanks. Thanks an awful lot, Jennifer. Um, I enjoyed, oh, uh, yeah, some good stuff here today. So I, I on these two paragraphs, I was thinking the part here where it talks about our history leaves us with issues. We need to justify our existence and the sense of alienation from ourselves and our bodies and other people. And um, I totally relate to that. I'm one of those A personalities and it seems like every day I have to re-earn my light, right to breathe your air and to be of uh, in existence. And, and I did that an awful lot with uh, overworking and um, being in total control of everything, make sure everything worked well so that I would look okay. Um, and, it, and it wasn't ego, it was the feeling that I had failed miserably at life unless I earned it every day. And, uh, and I did the same thing when I got clean. 
I came into service work and now I have to have every position so that everybody knows that I'm an okay person. And um, depending on how many service positions I have on whether or not I'm an okay person. And uh, the problem with that is I'm so busy doing the service work that I don't have time to do the step work. <laughs> I don't have time to spend with God and trying to find that balance and trying to um, get a big enough God in my life that uh, I'm okay with so that I don't have to earn my right to exist. Um, the other part in it is, of course, that last sentence. That's uh, fear is my number one um, that puts me in bad situations and keeps me from having long-term relationships is this first sign of trouble, I'm out of here. I'm not staying here. Um, I walk away before the fears have a chance to come true or be disproven. Um, so first sign of trouble. Um, it's like I'm real good in the honeymoon stage of any relationship, friendship or otherwise. But the minute it starts getting a little frictiony, well, it's time to book it uh, down the road. And so when I get in my grip of the old pattern, the bottom line is don't use no matter what. And my, my other bottom line is don't run, sit still. Don't run, sit still. Um, one of the things that somebody told me once was, um, if you're not sharing the, the bad stuff with the person, then you're being dishonest in the relationship. So if you bring it up six months later that so-and-so said something six months ago, um, that means for six months you've had a dishonest relationship because something was bothering you, something hurt you, and you didn't talk about it. And uh, so I try really hard to give it a little bit, talk it over with somebody, do some praying with God, and then go back in and say, this happened. Can you tell me what your perspective is on that situation? To try to keep the relationships as honest as possible. And um, Anyway, as my self-esteem built through service work, of course, but through being able to hold still and having long-term relationships in my life, um, that it was less need of... Uh, trying to earn my existence every day. So there's some good stuff here today. And I appreciate everybody's honesty and willingness to kind of rip back the covers a little bit and be vulnerable. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Jane. All right. Hey, Lee, I'm going to have you finish that one small paragraph uh, in this portion, and then we'll jump in, share on that, and then we'll jump into being a parent somewhere with someone else. Awesome, thanks Jennifer. For those of us with longstanding patterns of painful relationships, it can be surprising to notice the number of long-term loving relationships we have in the fellowship. <laughs> love sneaks up on us. The very fact of that love and its undeniable presence in our lives does its own quiet work healing the wounds that nothing else seems to reach. And I was trying to duck out on that, Jennifer. So thanks for snagging me. Um, I was telling Jim before before we started, I've been waking up like after 5 a.m. and after 6 a.m. And, and I don't normally do that. Ever since we got back from the beach, it's been happening. But this morning, I woke up from a relationship dream at around 6.15 a.m. Um, and I don't know that I've had relationship dreams before. Um, I divorced my recovery marriage in 91. 
And I fell in love, I think for the first time at the World Service Conference in 1992 in Dallas, Texas, a school teacher. They had a teacher conference when we had the World Service Conference in the same, this huge facility. And it was a, it was a great relationship. I think it was my first honest attempt at a relationship in recovery. And, uh, and at the end, four years later, I was devastated because her, her father made her choose between he and I. And I had, I don't think I'd ever been in a fetal position in a relationship my whole life. Um, I was horrible at relationships and active addiction. I don't even know if I would call those relationships. And for some reason this morning, I had this dream about her and I, um, and I woke up and I felt like a, a mix of, of guilt and remorse. Um, and I haven't really had a chance to process it because I worked the majority of, 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 the, of the beginning of today and then to keep my neighbor from hurting himself, I cut the grass out front, did almost the whole block. So now my back is tweaked and I'm not gonna stay up Paul and watch the game tonight. Um, but I've had, I've had periods throughout the day where this has been, I don't know, in process. I'm trying to process what, where did it come from? I mean, I haven't seen her or talked to her probably in 10 or 12 years. Um, I had gotten information from her roommate in Dallas that she was seeing somebody else while we were together. And then when we finally talked about it, she said she came to my house and I walked out with a woman and I told her the woman had just given me a haircut. So I don't have, I know this sounds way off base guys, but I have, I don't have anywhere else to go with this paragraph. Um, but now I want to, uh, 10 years ago, she wanted to know about my journey and I was real like resistant and not open. Um, and we're still connected through one of, one of the social media things. Um, but the feelings I woke up with makes me wonder, did I cheat? You know, because it was my first time in a relationship, not cheating ever. And this is 92 to 95 or 96. Um, and, I, and I don't know what to do with it. I, I didn't get a hold of my sponsor today. I tried, that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, it's something I need to do. It's something I need to work on um, because of the feelings. I've, I've had decades of not waking up with any remorse or guilt or strange, weird feelings. And this morning, I was kind of consumed by that, even into my meditation and, and my morning ritual. So uh, those, are, those are the comments <clears throat> that come from that paragraph about painful relationships. And I am totally graced with long-term loving relationships. Um, so yeah, thanks, Jennifer. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. Casey. Yeah, super quick. Um, you know, it talks about in this paragraph and it kind of ties into one of the other paragraphs that we read where it says it can be surprising to notice the number of long-term loving relationships we have in the fellowship. Um, and, uh, you know, my 
concept and my definition of what love looked like was skewed from a very young age. Um, you know, I, I was abused from a very, very infant stage in life and um, by a family member who was supposed to, you know, families love each other, right? So my, my concept of what love looked like um, got skewed from the very beginning and that carried over into my relationships, you know, it talks about in that first paragraph, um, uh, the shame and the fear and a belief that we need to justify our existence. And that carried over into every relationship that I had, whether it be a friendship or a, a romantic relationship or even family relationships, right? Like it was all just really skewed and, and, and off. And, um, you know, this program has shown me a a true definition of what love looks like, right? I have um, people in my life today that give me an unconditional love without wanting anything from me, right? Like I can look on the screen and see, you know, uh, nearly all of you um, who love me without condition. You don't want anything from me. You just love me for me. And uh, I never knew that. I never knew that. I was not taught that I did not learn that from my family surroundings, no doing of their own, you know, I mean, my parents did the best that they could with what they were given and how they were taught. Um, but that definition of love just got skewed so far away that, um, you know, I was that person in romantic relationships, you know, they tell you don't get in a relationship for a year. And I was not the one who listened to that advice. I was not the one I got into every relationship that I could because I was so desperately trying to fill that void. But just like it talks about, as soon as that tension hits or that romantic, that honeymoon piece goes away, I was out the door because it was uncomfortable. And what do we do now? And, um, you know, it wasn't until I was five years clean where I decided that I needed to stay out of relationships and really like explore internally what was going on in here. And um, that's where my recovery, I think, changed. Um, so if you're listening and your sponsor tells you to stay out of a relationship for a year, you know, I'm going to recommend it. But if you don't, like I didn't, I did, beca did become part of the no matter what club. So when those relationships faded away, I still had my program and I still stayed clean and I got to see what it was like to walk through those. And um, today, the, the loving relationships that I have and that I've made and that I've learned how to make as a direct result of this program um, are insurmountable and indescribable. Um, and nothing that I would give up for anything in this world. Um, it's taught me everything that I know about what love should look like and what love should not look like. You know, today that the things that I look for um, and the things that I'm not willing to settle for, right? Like I've learned that I'm worth more than those toxic, abusive relationships that I was in. Um, I'm worth more than having uh, to rely on somebody to tell me that I am X, Y, and Z, right? Like I believe those things because you taught me that. So uh, I'm grateful for, for that paragraph, thanks. Thanks, Casey. I think it's really important for me to remember um, the, the benefits and the relationships that I have with all of these people in my life today. Um, a big chunk of them you know, started when I got here and they're still in my life today, like outweighs today. You know, when I got here, everything I did was painful, right? I, I ran through everybody's lives. I, I you know, head first, you know, completely self-absorbed with me, 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 me. And these people in these relationships, these loving relationships that I have are the one that taught me how 
to develop that love and that and also develop loving relationships with others. And it just occurred to me when we were reading this that I've spent a lot of time in my recovery working on, you know, that um, part where I don't want to be in relationships that bring me pain anymore, right? And and I don't have any of those relationships anymore for the first time in. 29 years. I'm not in a relationship with anybody that is a source of pain for me. You know, it doesn't mean that things aren't hard. It doesn't mean that that there aren't bumps. It doesn't mean there aren't disagreements. There doesn't mean it. But for the first time, I literally want to cry about it because I just like, again, just occurred to me that I don't allow that in my life today. You know, and I'm not the creator of those anymore either. That's the great thing, right? I don't allow them and I don't create them. And what comes into that our longstanding relationships that are full of love, you know, um, and that's only because of Narcotics Anonymous. And that's only, well, I mean, you know, I always tell people, like, I never did anything the way that anybody told me how to do it, because I just couldn't manage to do that. But, um, but I've been, I stayed long enough, and I stayed clean long enough to figure out that, you know, being a rebel doesn't suit me anymore. Um, so um, thank you. Um, and we'll uh, jump into uh, being a parent. Uh, Douglas, you want to read the next two paragraphs for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, so this is uh, being a parent. Perhaps nothing changes our perspective of our own childhood, like having children of our own. We gain a different perspective on our parents' experience as we see ourselves through the eyes of our children as well. We want so badly to get it right, but we don't quite know what that means. Being a good parent might mean different things to each of us, but whatever we imagine it to be, we want to do it right. We can get so caught up in our theories and expectations of what it means to be a parent, we forget it's a relationship. All the things we learn about relationships and recovery can help us as parents. <clears throat> we see all the issues we struggle with in our own relationships show up in some form or other in our relationships with our children. We learn to listen carefully and to communicate in a way uh, that we can be heard. Just as we do in sponsorship, we learn to meet our kids where they are. Perhaps most importantly, we learn that when when we can get our self-obsession out of the way, we can experience love, compassion, empathy, and intimacy. As we make peace with ourselves, we find peace with those around us, including our children. When we practice self-acceptance, we can accept our children as the human beings they are. Perhaps the best gift we can, can give our children is acceptance of themselves. And since we cannot give what we do not have, what we want for our children can motivate us in our own journey. I mean, these are beautiful, man. These these, these couple of paragraphs are are. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go. I'll go to the first one. I, I so badly want to get being a parent right, and I so badly. I remember praying over Alexander. Uh, he's my oldest boy. He's fourteen, or or he, he's he's a couple months shy of fifteen. And um, but man, when he was like in a little baby, I remember giving him a bath and them little. You know, they're, they're like little crates, you bath them in, in like the sink and shit, you know, that's how little he was. And and I just remember praying, just asking God not to, for me not to fuck him up. You know, I had no idea what to do, man, scared. Bro, and I tell you, honest to God, man, I feel, I feel kind of like that now. Like, man, I just, I, I feel like I, I want to do it right, man. I want to be, I want to parent these boys right, man, I do. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, really. How <clears throat> Um, and, and, and check this out, man. Look, it's like um, uh, we forget it's a relationship. We see issues we struggle with in others and all that stuff. But that's so true, too, man. Like my, my, my first experience trying to be their dad, 
you know, for like the first maybe half of their life, I guess, is the exact same thing I took into, into being a husband. Bro, I, I went into marrying their mom with this perspective of, hey, I'm the man, I'll make money and I'll do shit around the house. You cook and clean, don't, you know, I'm about to make a joke, but I digress, you know, but like, but, you know, but that's the perspective, man. Like I, I brought into it. It really is. It's just, that's where I was at at the time. And that did not clash, man. Like their mom is not, that's not what she desired in a, in a, in a marriage, you know? And, and um, so, so how that relates here is like, I put unrealistic expectations on her, bro. I, I, I do the same thing with my boys, especially the first half of their life, man. I thought it was, it was not a relationship. I thought it was, I'm going to tell you to do something you're going to say yes sir and you're going to do it and if not then you're getting disciplined and um man and i just and 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 it just stopped working you know it just stopped working and i had to learn different things and and um and that's kind of where i'm at now man like i'm I'm still trying to figure out like how to effectively communicate my my boys are so totally different uh with my oldest one i'll hit him with the hey man i love you he'll be like yeah i love you too you know we'll have a good my youngest one he's 12 just 12 and a half, almost 13, something like that. I'll say, I love you. He'll be like, all right, Doug, you know, being funny and shit, but it it gets me so upset, you know, anyhow. um, So, yeah, so, so I guess the the last comment I'll make with this is going to be the the last one, the self-acceptance piece, man. I just think that's so cool. You know, it's like, if they watch me, they sound like me, man. They act like me. They're fucking handsome like I am. For those who are listening who don't get to see me each week, they fight, they, they're goddamn rock stars, and I bless them with that. But it's like, you know, this is a cool thing. And, I, and I'm going to say this, and I'll pass. Paul, I want to use this thing that we was, we was riding around with Paul, and, and, um, and Austin texts me. He has trouble saying his R's. And so he, he, he sounds a little bit, I think it's cute, but he sounds, he sounds different when he says Carl. So he's saying, Uncle Carl, we're in the car. And uh, he texts me, actually, so, so they don't hear him. And he says, you know, I, I you know, feel embarrassed or something like this. I can't, I can't say Uncle Carl's name right. And so I, I knew, like, hey, just bring it up, man. Just, you know, let, let them. And I said, I said, you don't have to worry about saying his name. And I told Paul and Carl about, about it. Bro, they poured so much love into him. We don't, it's, you know. I mean, nothing but love into the boy, just nothing but love. And you know what that, that, that was like me, he kind of relaxed and he, and he's good with it now. And it's like, what, how else can I see this higher power, man, this, this, this grand creator working in, in, in my life and in my son's life through other people. I'm saying, look, man, you're, you're, you're perfectly designed. You're perfectly made. When I was 12, I was scared shitless, man. I couldn't open up to anybody. I wasn't about to tell anybody how I felt, what I did. I, I wasn't connected there. It just wasn't. But you folks allow my sons to be. And, and so I don't know, man. I don't know where that all fits, fits in here and stuff like this. But I love this, the, that last sentence or two. The more I work on, on acceptance of myself, man, I can, I can model that, you know, to my children. It's just really cool. All right, I'll pass. Thanks, Douglas. Stephanie. There we are. Um, yeah, you know, I this is an area that has been um, both e- extremely painful um, and very rewarding. Um, you know, having the self acceptance of myself, uh, you know, with within me has been a real challenge. Um, you know, I said a few moments ago how much I've been struggling. You know, um, 
you know, knowing I have these defects, knowing my hair power is the only thing that can take them away. Um, they're causing me lots of pain. You know, I, I know that I have them and, and I'm learning that my children are human as well. <laughs> I'm learning that my children have defects as well and they can control many better than I can. Um, so having more acceptance of myself does help me accept my children better. Um, but this is definitely not something that's happened overnight for me. This has been a topic of conversation for many, many, many months and meetings for, for myself that I have to bring up and talk to other addicts about, talk to my sponsor about. And like Douglas said, you know, um, you know, my, my oldest daughter, she's 17 and she's got some quirky stuff about her. Um, I think it's endearing, you know, um, it can be a challenge though. Um, and, and my sponsor loves her and she loves all the children, but she loves Aaron in a way that, um, you know, I, I hate to say makes me love Aaron more, but really, I mean, she loves Aaron with her whole heart. And, and, and to, when she comes to my house, all three of my daughters, they get giggly and they get weird and they get like girly, like that's not how I act, but they all four of them get loud and obnoxious and they're jumping around and they're so happy. And, um, you know, but my kids feel loved because of the people in these rooms, you know, um, I, I'm able to love myself, which in turns in turn helps my children love themselves, you know, and raising daughters in this society is not easy. Um, you know, they're, it's highly sexualized and, you know, I could go on and on. Um, and learning to love me is only helping them to love them, you know, and, 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 and how our higher power made us. Um, you know, I've been able to lower my expectations of my children's father. Um, you know, they're both still in active addiction. Um, and, and I'm able to like meet them where they're at, you know, but it's been a challenge accepting myself and accepting my children as humans and that they're going to make mistakes. Um, those unrealistic expectations I have of myself and that I'm always going to like, what, what's ironic is, you know, I abused my body for so many decades and I've been in recovery three years now and I expect to be perfect. You know, it's completely unrealistic. And I'm coming to understand that, you know, I expect to be the perfect addict, the perfect mother, the perfect wife, you know, um, and I'm, I don't want to make mistakes in my job and I don't want to make mistakes in recovery and I want to be the best mom. And, you know, all of that is complete horseshit. You know, I, I think um, the goal is, you know, the journey that I'm on. And that's been the realization that I've been having lately. It's not about the destination. It's not about, you know, where I'm going to end up when I've got 40 years clean. It's about right now and maybe living today a little bit better than I did yesterday and maybe having a little bit more love for myself than I did yesterday. And maybe, you know, um, helping another addict today more than I did yesterday. And like all these things, just, I want to be a little bit better every day, you know, and I want to really appreciate the day that I'm in um, and, 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 and not think so much about the future and, and how I'm not doing it right all the time, you know, and that's probably one of the greatest gifts I can also give my children, you know, knowing that it's okay not to be perfect and it's okay. And that's normal and it's human. And just to be a whole being and not a perfect being and with that, I pass. Thanks, Stephanie. I am um, that one sentence, perhaps the best gift we can give our children is acceptance of themselves. You know, my three kids are so different um, and it's been a roller coaster with them, you know, um, you know, and, and I like how you said, 
you know, people in recovery are their people, right? Like my people are their people, right? No matter what's going on, something going on with my kids, my people have their back, right? They show up, you know, birthday parties, whatever, you know, hard times, whatever. But this self-acceptance, the self-acceptance piece for me, like I grew up completely mortified by who I was, couldn't stand to be in my skin. I did everything I could to get outside of myself. So I didn't have to feel all the, the way that I felt inside and all three of my kids. And I don't know how it happened. I'm, you know, with higher power, narcotics anonymous, you know, trying to be a good parent. I don't know what it is. The, all three of these kids are completely okay with who they are, you know, and, and, you know, my, my oldest, my oldest daughter's 23, right after we're done here, she's coming here. She's visiting from Montana. I haven't seen her in a year. And, you know, I grew up, I felt like I grew up a little bit with her. I was young when I had her and, 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 you know, I'm so excited to see her, but then, you know, my middle daughter is, is sassy and full of her. I want to say full of herself, but there's a lot of confidence in there. She knows who she is. She knows who she wants. She knows how to get it. She doesn't always present herself in a manner that is like respectful or anything. Cause she's a brat too. Um, and then there's my son and I'm going to tell this funny story about my son. Cause he's never going to listen to this podcast. So we were in Florida a couple of weeks ago and he's running around the beach Um and he had his swim shorts were totally bothering him. Um, he had sand in them and they were bothering him. And I look over at him and he's in his boxer briefs running around the beach with a bunch of addicts playing volleyball, completely hair free, could give two shits. I couldn't like I was uncomfortable at 46 years old in my bathing suit laying on the beach wondering if people were looking at me and if I looked okay. And my son is talking to these people that he's never met before, just wanting to be a part of. And, you know, we were kind of laughing and making fun of him a little bit because like who runs around the beach? And But then there was some guy in a Speedo and we we're like, well, that's the same thing, you know, and uh, and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that that, that my children I did not have to pass that on to them, that uncomfortable, yucky place that they're in. And, you know, I mean, and I hope he probably be the butt of a joke for a really long time about that. And it's okay. And the funny thing about it is he still doesn't care. He does not care. He's like, I was uncomfortable. This made me comfortable and I'm good. And, um, and thank God, you know, thank God, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to wonder, you know what I mean? How they feel about themselves or thank God that as a parent, you know, I'm present, you know, most of the time. And, you know, and, and, and I've been really fortunate. My kids have never seen me loaded. You know, that's my story. Uh, they've seen me real fucking crazy. Um, I'll tell you that. But today, you know, I look at my little family unit and I think I'm the luckiest fucking mom on the planet. You know, I really am even with all the, you know, differences of personalities and whatnot. And, and, and today Narcotics Anonymous allows me to see that and enjoy it and love it. And, and it also allows me to let them be who they are without having to dictate that, um, which was dictated to me when I was growing up, how I was going to be and what I was going to do. Um, you know, Narcotics Anonymous is, is full of so many gifts and I'm so grateful for that. And, um, you know, we're at the, we're at the end today, but I want to thank everybody that listens each week. Um, you know, if you find this resource helpful, please pass it on to others, um, you know, and share the gift that we receive every week by, by sharing this with you guys. So see y'all next week. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. 
please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.